Well, this morning I would like for us to share together out of Mark, in Mark 13, Sentinels to Truth. And that'll make sense as we go along. As, we, as we're traveling through Mark, I, what I really hope, and I really, I really want you to do this wherever you're reading in the Bible, uh, it's not very helpful for us to take Mark 13 and take it out of the Bible and just look at it without looking at what's before it and what's after it. I mean, that just doesn't work. The Bible is written as a story, and it's a connected story. And even if you think about the Bible being 66 books, I I believe there is one common author. Ultimately, it's God who is superintending the writing of, of these words. And it's coming down, and it, so there's, there is a story that he's telling throughout. And it's like it's super important. Uh, this morning we start talking about Mark 13 because it's like Matthew 25, and it's about signs of the times. And sometimes it just, we just rip, rip those types of chapters out of the Bible, and we just totally disconnect them with what the story is. And we kind of create a theology of our last times disconnected from the story. And that doesn't really make much sense. So we don't want to do that. So I just want to remind you of a couple of things. That uh, what we, where we have been with Jesus and the disciples is we've been in a very tense time. So Jesus, in his ministry, intentionally did not visit Jerusalem until the end. I mean, he... he really stayed up in the Galilee and traveled about the Galilee for most of his ministry. And then he began to work towards Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And he knew that when he got to Jerusalem that he was going to have to run headlong into the power of Israel, which is really the Sanhedrin. So he, he knew. He knew that there was going to be this time of controversy or crisis and you know the just think about the disciples just kind of coming with him and and again i'm trying i'm trying to not be too simplistic but but i really believe if we just can understand that jesus is trying to push humanity forward into something that's new and something that's better I, i i do believe there's a way for us to to recognize that the old covenant did not work to accomplish the purpose that God intended it to accomplish. God, God always has always had a heart for the, for the globe, for every nation, every tongue, every tribe. But we as people, we, so we, you know, we get something from God, and it's, it's hard for us not just to look at that in relation to ourselves. Because in some ways we... It takes us a long time to stop being selfish. And so Jesus is just kind of, he's just saying, you know, we, we got to move. We got to move into something new and better for everybody, for Israel and all the nations. And the leaders of Israel, both the civil and the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, they're pushing back and saying, no. We've, we've kind of got things working the way we want. We're, we're kind of at peace with Rome. We know they shadow, they're over us, but, you know, we're not going to rock the boat. They said, if we don't rock the boat, we're going to be okay. We're, we wanna, we're going to make this work. This is our tried and true. So they're really pushing backward. 
not forward. They want to hold on to what they have. And that, that's what the tension is. So when Jesus shows up and he cleanses the temple, uh, you know, and he, and he just say, hey, this, this whole thing that God has given, you've turned it into something that profits you. You've turned my father's house of prayers for the nations into a den of robbers. You're, you're perverting, you're twisting. You've gotten off track. And so Jesus turns tables over. He, you know, he drives people out. He's mad. He's zealous for the purposes of God. And so the question of authority comes up. You know, hey, the Sadducees in, protect, in particular, they're the custodians of the temple. Hey, who, who gives you the authority to come in here, turn our tables over, drive people out with a whip, tell us we're doing it? Who gave you that authority? Did, it, did it, that authority rise up through the rabbinic schools? From Is it a human authority or does it come down from heaven? Is it divine authority? What kind of, what kind of authority is this? What authority are you claiming? And because Jesus does not answer that question because they won't answer a question for him, then you get into this battle. They're trying to entrap Jesus. They're trying to make Jesus stumble. They're trying to, 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 to just, we just want this guy to go away. This guy is a threat. His message is a threat. We want to, we want to find out a way that we can get him in trouble with the crowds of people that are following him or with the Roman authorities. So you have this series of questions. And once they're through with those questions, that you get to a place, no one dared ask him a question, and then Jesus says, well, I got one for you. So then, again, so it's just this pressure cooker time. And then when you step into Mark 13, again, you're reading the story. The chapters were not in the original. It was one story. Stepping out of that conflict, there's an ebb. So Jesus and the disciples leave the temple. And they're on their way from Jerusalem back over the Mount of Olives, back to Bethany. And as they walk along, for what... Now, this is... I don't know. Whatever reason... As they walk away from the temple building, that building catches the eyes of the disciples. Mark 13, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And if you're in the flow of the story, it's kind of like... (laughs) What? So this is, uh, this will be a little shameless plug for a journey of understanding. Uh, this is the Western Wall. If over on the other side of this is the Wailing Wall. But this is, again, the, this, these are the stones that they're talking about. These go back to Herodian. And you can kind of see the size of the stones and the rubble of stones. You get to go there. If you go on a journey of understanding, go there. Just, just want you to know. So I'm wondering, because yeah, that, that question just comes out of the blue. 
I'm, I'm wondering if the disciples are beginning to feel a bit insecure with this extended conflict with the religious leaders of Israel. I, I would guess that they were pretty uncomfortable most of the week with Jesus. Oh, good, good, Jesus. And then, so then I wonder, you know, could they be looking at the temple maybe as a symbol of stability? And the idea is somewhat like, okay, Jesus, you cleaned it up on the inside. You confronted the leaders. At least you, they have the opportunity to get in step with you. So maybe, maybe this clock could be the beginning of something um, in this kind of this massive and beautiful structure. Maybe we could kind of start fresh here. And, you know, Herod, hey, Herod's been working on remodeling this place for 50 years. We don't want to just like get rid of 50 years of remodeling work. So I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's kind of where they are. And just to remind you of Herod, Herod is Herod the Great, who on the positive side, he was a great builder. On the negative side, he was so extremely paranoid of losing his throne that he slaughtered children in Bethlehem in hopes of slaughtering Jesus. But Mount Moriah is, is where the Temple Mount is. And anybody remember Mount Moriah from your Old Testament reading? What, what is it? Give us, give us a hint. What's Mount Moriah? You shook your heads yes, and now you don't want to speak up. Come on. You're not going to be wrong. It's the, it's the place, historically, it's the place where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. Well, that Mount Moriah is a, is a plateau, and the northern end of it, there was a steep decline to the southern slope. So Herod said, hey, let's even the place out. Let's make it a temple mount. So it's supposed to be 1,600 feet wide and 900 feet broad, nine stories high, <laughs> with walls up to 16 feet thick. To complete it, a trench was dug around the mountains, huge stones, remember? Hey, Jesus, look at these stones. Some of these weighed well over a hundred tons. The largest stone measured 44.6 feet by 11 feet by 16.5 feet and weighed approximately 567 to 628 tons. So, Eric, you're an engineer. How big is that stone? <laughs> that is a big stone. Now, most of them were smaller, uh, two and a half by three and a half to 15, approximately 28, so just 28 tons. But when are they placing these stones? I mean, where was the nearest caterpillar rental? King Herod had architects from Greece and Rome and Egypt. Egypt they built with big stones. It's, it's the greatest building project that Herod did. I mean, it, it, it lasted longer than he did. It was still being remodeled in Jesus' day. So it was a beautiful, 
Beautiful structure. No wonder it caught their eye. And just when they were thinking, well, maybe we can catch our breath after this really tense week in this, this structure. Maybe there's some stability here. It doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. Hey, Jesus, what large stones, what a large building. It, it, you know, we ought to be able to put this thing to use. <laughs> and Jesus says to them, see this great building? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. So let's pause for a moment and go over to the Mount of Olives. I mean, that kind of, that kind of killed the conversation. Because again, if, if they're thinking, oh, we can, maybe, maybe there's some stability found here. So you're sitting on the Mount of Olives and you're looking to the Temple Mount. Most of you would know today that the Dome of the Rock, the, the dome over Mount Moriah, the historic site where Abraham sacrificed or was intended to sacrifice Isaac, is under the Dome of the Rock. There was a time where you could put your hand in and touch it. You don't get to do that anymore. So they're sitting there looking back over the Temple. It's a very beautiful site. I think the wind taken out of their sails somewhat. And wondering, what in the world does this mean? And so when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus privately, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of these things that are about to be accomplished? Now, there's two questions there. The when... And again, keep it in the story. Don't, don't rip it out of the story. The when is, when? When is this temple going to be destroyed? When are these stones going to be dismantled? And the second question, what, what, what's going to be the sign that this destruction of this temple reaches its fulfillment? So really their conversation is focused upon this building and what it contains. And so Jesus answers those questions. Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. They will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end, the fulfillment of what I'm saying to you has not yet come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. But this is the beginning of the birth pangs. So Jesus is saying there's a process. You know, it's not just going to happen in this moment. He's, He's speaking to them prophetically. He's speaking of them of a future time. He's saying this is going to unravel over time. I would suggest to you that this, we're in the 30s, so he's talking about the next 40 to 50 years in this place right, right here. Over the next 30, 40, 50 years, there are going to be people that come with false claims. And they're gonna, they're gonna, there's going to be a lot of them, and they're going to lead many people astray. And then you're going you're gonna to hear about wars. 
and you're going to hear reports about wars and you're going to, nations are going to rise against nations and kingdoms are going to rise against kingdoms. And there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. That, that's going to be in a variety of places. But I'm telling you, that's just the beginning of something that's going to be birthed. That's, that's another question. What? What's going to be birthed? What's, what's the baby? If these are the birth pains, what's the baby that's coming? And then Jesus turns the focus away from the process onto those that are following him, the disciples. As for yourselves, don't just think about the temple. Don't just think about the building. Don't just think about those stones. Don't, don't think about the process of that building being dismantled. About yourselves, beware. For you will be handed over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them, as the message says, as sentinels to truth. And the good news of the kingdom, the good news must first be proclaimed to all ethnos. All people groups. And when they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not for you to speak, it's for the Holy Spirit. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children are rising its parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by me because of my name. Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, King, Lord, Christ, Messiah. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So again, trying to, trying to grapple with, okay, we got a building. It's not, gonna, it's, not, it's not a permanent building. It's going to be dismantled. There's a process over time where that will happen. But then I need to focus upon you, disciples, those following me. And I'm going to broaden the timeline with prophetic announcements, whether it's in the Old Testament or New. There's a short vision and there's a long vision. That's really common. Jesus is doing the same thing. There's a shorter window I'm looking through. There's a broader window that I'm looking through. And he, and he combines both of them. And so really what he's really focused upon is not so much the temple, but upon his followers. And he's really saying, bottom line, I want you to be the sentinels to truth. The good news has to continue to be announced to the nations. I'm announcing it. I mean, if you just think about it, Jesus announced the good news of the kingdom to one nation. To Israel. Israel's not the globe. You, my sentinels to truth, have got to go on with the process. It's got to be, it's got to reach the nations. So that's a long-term project, right? And the way you're going to do that in many ways is you're going to stand trial before those who oppose you. And when you're, when, you're, when you're on trial, when you get in trouble, when you get beaten up in the synagogues, 
I mean, when, when those that we've just had conflict with, they, they, I mean, that's going to continue, he's really saying. You're going to have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Let him give you the words in your defense. And then I have to say, just like I'm being betrayed by my family, Jesus is being betrayed by his family. You will be hated because of my name. You see, some of the natural sons and daughters of Abraham are going to continue to reject the message of the kingdom and the messengers of the kingdom. And so Jesus, I think, in some ways is saying the temple, the temple can't be saved. It's, it's going to be destroyed. Again, in the context of God is doing something new and better for everybody. But the disciples who endure through what would be messianic woes will be delivered, will be saved. Now, as you think about that, let me just tell you the end of the story. Because in 66 A.D. C.E., the Jewish population blew its top. And they rebelled against the Roman Empire. And four years later, on the 30th of August, 70 C.E., Roman legions under Titus retook and destroyed much of Jerusalem and the temple. The stones were separated. It was a pile of rubble. According to an inscription on the Colosseum, Emperor Vespasian built the Colosseum with the war spoils in 79 CE. Possibly those were the spoils from the temple. What was taken out of the temple by the Romans when they destroyed it, built the Colosseum in Rome. It's a possibility. What you're seeing in the picture is on the Arch of Titus. And you can't see the menorah. But this is, this is an inscription of the Romans sacking the temple and taking back to Rome the treasury of the temple. The sects of Judaism that had their base in the temple dwindled in importance, including the priesthood and the Sadducees. This was the end of those sects of Judaism. At the end of the Bar Kokhma revolt in 135 CE, many of the Jewish communities were massacred and the Jews were banned from even living in Jerusalem. And a pagan temple was set up on the former site of Herod's temple. You see, what Jesus said came true. It came true within a span of a hundred years. This temple is going to be destroyed. It was. But there was something that went beyond that. Because the end of the temple is not the end of the kingdom. And the disciples... We're encouraged to press through what was happening so that the message of God doing something new and better for everyone would get out 
to the nations. So what you really, I think, find out is that these disciples, like us, were transformed into the likeness of Jesus because they endured. They pressed through. Whatever trial, whatever temptation came their way, they pressed through it, they endured in order to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to the nations. That's the core message. God is doing something new and better on the planet. We're announcing the arrival of that kingdom. And we want all nations to enter that kingdom through faith in Jesus. And that message was resisted. Not just by Israel. Not just by the religious in Israel. Everywhere they went, there was a resistance. But they pushed through it. So we as a community of people following Jesus, it's really the same for us. We're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus when we endure through trials and tribulations to announce to our generation the good news of the arrival of the kingdom of God. The power structures of this world don't like that message. The power structures of this world are very much like the power structure in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. We like the, we like the way things are. Don't mess with it. We're just kind of... We're trying to risk kind of getting to a place where the message of the kingdom of God disrupts that. Because yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. There's only one that can really be the king of all. It's Jesus. So how are we doing? How are we doing? I mean, they started it. They endured. They pressed through the trials and the tribulations. They all suffered by giving their life to this cause. I mean, they didn't get the message out to the nations, right? So where are we? Where are we in the process? It's estimated that 7.47 billion people live in the world today. And 3.15 billion of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. According to the Joshua Project, there are approximately 16,800 unique people groups in the world with about 6,900 of them considered unreached. There is no tangible presence of a believer or a church or any, any witness to Jesus. So when we think about what they started, it's not complete. And when we think about it in the context of Jesus returning, which we'll talk about next week, he's not going to come back until the message reaches the planet. And so our, our efforts and our thoughts and our prayers and our endurance should be directed to how do, how do we participate in getting the message of the arrival of the kingdom of God, God doing something new and better forever. How do, we, how do we get that message out to the people around us and to the nations that have not yet heard? That's our task. We're, we're, we're now the sentinels to truth. So this is my prayer for us. 
to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus by enduring through whatever trial, whatever tribulation, to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to our neighbors and to the nations. So Holy Spirit, come. I mean, really, genuine Holy Spirit, come. Empower us. Empower us to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to our neighbors and to the nations. Holy Spirit, show us the unreached people within our reach. Show us the unreached people within our reach. You know, we live in an incredible time of reach. We know that, don't we? So what can the Holy Spirit do with a group of people who say, you know, we want to do what Jesus did. We want to push through every trial, every tribulation. We want to get the message of the kingdom of God out to unreached people. What can the Holy Spirit do with that? I mean, one, that internet connection that we have, that can go a long ways. There's a lot of things happening through those connections. You know what else? How many migrant people are there in the world right now? I I forgot to look it up. It's either 40 million or 80 million migrant people. People are being displaced all around the planet. Do you think maybe that the God who wants people to come to know him might use circumstances to move people into our neighborhood? I mean, there are places on the, that we could not go. There's still places we could not go. But it doesn't mean that God can't bring people to us. Is God at work here? You should at least ask that question. Maybe those are the people that are, he's bringing them within our reach. That's incredible. That's incredible. Come, Holy Spirit. Empower us to announce the good news of the kingdom of God to our neighbors and the nations. Show us the unreached within our reach. Empower us to discern the false claims made about you and your activity in our generation. There's a lot of things that are going to get us off track to doing the main thing that Jesus has for us. Expose the false prophets and their lies. The focal point needs to be Jesus. The focal point needs to be the announcement that Jesus brought to us. The focal point needs to be people following Jesus, doing what Jesus did which is announcing the arrival of the kingdom and demonstrating that arrival. That's the focus point. I mean, how many things are we invited into that are not that? Holy Spirit, come. Empower us to remain calm with the threat of wars and natural disasters. Show us how to live in peace with our neighbors and creation. I mean, I probably say this too much, but it's because I have friends that live in New Orleans. And when Katrina hit New Orleans, we went and helped. We helped clean out houses. 
And I cannot tell you how many people, the end is here. Katrina was the end. God's judgment against us dirty, rotten sinners. I mean, how many times have we heard that? How many earthquakes are there? How many famines are there? And how we then begin to attach these judgments of God as if we were living in the old covenant. We're not living in the old covenant. Hello? There is a new covenant. There's a new agreement. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the old so we can move into the new. Jesus is the focus. He's the focal point. So, we, yeah, we, we need to grieve wars. And, the, the, oh man, are those, is that nation going to go get... We, yeah, we should grieve that. We should also be the peacemakers. That's what Jesus invited us to be. We should grieve earthquakes. We, we should grieve and we should work towards how can we give out of our abundance to those that are in famine. I mean, all, we should be involved in all of those things, but we shouldn't be pushing the panic button. The end is here, the end is here. I mean, it's like chicken little. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. No, it's not gone. The message hadn't reached everybody yet. So let's not get distracted doing that stuff. Let's stay on task. There's enough trouble by staying on task. Empower us to love whenever we are hated because of your name. And empower us to rely on you for our defense and for our day-to-day endurance. This is a sobering thing. But the hatred that the first disciples faced were from the religious. It wasn't from the non-religious. I mean, I don't think the Romans would have said, we hate the followers of Jesus. But the religious did. My friends, I think religious people are still with us. The hatred is going to come from our, our family, not, not our natural family, our spiritual family. And it's, again, it's because there are these false claims and people start following and getting off task. We've got to stay on task. It's a hard thing for us to do that together. So I'd end with, man, I want to become like Jesus. I want our community to look like Jesus. I want us to rely upon the Holy Spirit so that we can endure through every trial, through every tribulation, so that we announce the arrival of the kingdom of God, which is the game changer for the world. So could we stand together? Holy Spirit, we've invited you to come just in the reading of the prayers that were up on the screen. So I know that you're present. I know that you're at work.
I know that your desire is to comfort some of us that have just faced resistance after resistance after resistance in trying to share the best news that's ever arrived on the planet with people around us, and we, we just need to be comforted in our frustration, in our sadness, that people reject this message. Holy Spirit, I know that you want to guide us to those that are unreached within our reach. So, Holy Spirit, speak to us in this moment of prayer. Speak to us. Show us. Give us an image. Give us a person. Give us a name. Holy Spirit, some of us need a course correction. We have, we've been duped into getting off task with the most important task. So bring that conviction. Bring that guidance. Get us back on the path. And pray in general for the church in general. Oh, Lord, let us get back to the business of announcing your good news and allowing you to demonstrate that good news through us that are following Jesus. That our world would know Jesus is the king, that the kingdom has arrived, and that you're moving us towards a new heaven and a new earth. That process has begun. And we want to we be participants in that. Finally, Holy Spirit, I ask that you strengthen us We need your strength when we face opposition. We need your strength to step forward, to take a step forward. We need your strength when we're hurt and rejected and sometimes hated because of the message that we want to deliver. Come, Holy Spirit, and strengthen us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your life and your ministry, and thank you for pointing us in the direction that we are to go. In your name, amen. In our time together is a time for us to come together and share coffee and snacks, get to know each other. It's a time for us to come together and worship Jesus together. I don't have another time during the week that I do that with others. I worship Jesus, through, but I don't get to worship Him with others. And it's a time for us to encourage one another. But all of that is aimed so that we go through those doors and bear the message that we have to the neighbors and the nations around us. So we all have, we all have a, a job that we get to do. And so may the Holy Spirit empower us to deliver His good news to our neighbors and to the nations. God bless you in that. Thank you for our morning together.